welcome to RushCast. My name is Jay Mantis, and I'm glad you're here listening to our show. We're talking about Rush. Like always, we're in the, the end of our album series for 2016, where we went through every album in order, except for this week and last week, where we switched the order of Snakes and Arrows and Feedback. Uh, just for scheduling issues on our end, I know that their you know feedback became before came before snakes. Uh, but I want I want to talk about everything there is in terms of studio albums, and we're not leaving anything out. So we're gonna do feedback as well. And joining me today uh, for the third time on Rushcast, one of my favorite guests, Jeff Garrett, is here. How you doing, Jeff? Pretty good, Jay. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, so it was I, I don't remember. I know there were a couple albums when we did the when we scheduled the guests for the album series that didn't have, uh, you know, people to represent them yet. Was this one where I like reached out and said, "Does anybody want to do feedback?" I can't remember. Yeah, I, I think you were looking for somebody to to fill this spot, and so uh, yeah, I was happy to do it. it. Like, is this a a big album? Like, w- would this rank anywhere but the bottom among all the other Rush material for you? Um, well, you know, it's, it's hard to compare it to their original material, you know, in, in that way. But I, I mean, I, I really like the album, um, to me, like the, the sound of it. And, uh, there's a few things in particular, which, uh, are pretty valuable in regards to this album. Uh, one of those things was, uh, their return to live off the floor, uh, recording. Yeah. So, um, which uh, I, th- I think was a pretty big thing. Well, I just learned uh, about it today while researching and saw that right. they were like, essentially, they said, we don't have a ton of time to record this album. We didn't even necessarily want to make an album at first. It was they, they originally just wanted to record a couple covers and throw it up on the website. And then I think mm-hmm. Alex said we would have done, you know, 13 tracks if we had the time. But again, because they didn't have so much time to record, they just recorded it right off the floor and um, that is definitely kind of mirrors the sense of you returning back to the older music that inspired them. Hey, let's do this. And I've been thinking about it since we talked about last week how the main monkey business was recorded like that. That is a big thing that I miss because that's the spirit of the music. That That's how music is created. And the way Rush writes right now where you know the lyrics are sent via email and they're across the you know the guys are across the continent from one one another and they're recording very uh, in very solitary areas you know it's i don't think that's a very common way to do it and a very organic way to do it that might be why rush's material is so eccentric compared to everybody else or the mainstream um now i'm going off on a tangent but it is well, cool no, that I this record was one, like one, that on that point sorry um the uh, it's kind of part of the arc which started with Presto, where they're you know trying to do less keyboards, trying to go back to a more you know raw sound, which you know it seems like they've been doing on each album since you know after Hold Your Fire, you know they they kind of you know they're inundated with technology keyboards, and now they want to you know just just play, just go back and and, and rock and and feedback kind of is you know the the end point there too so it's like you know there's no keyboards at all it's you know we're recording live it's about as raw as you can get so you know it kind of goes back to their their the sound of their first album in, in many ways and just when they were you know a bar band playing you know these type of songs so i also read that the name feedback came because uh is a thing because 
uh, Alex had put feedback, literal guitar feedback on almost every track on the record. And and mm. this record really is, I guess in a way, a nice bridge between Vapor Trails and Snakes when we talk about the guitar sound. Uh, because it's it's heavily layered, even though some of the parts are unison parts. Uh, mm. It's a big wall of sound in the guitar department, like we had on Vapor Trails, but definitely more uh, tame. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, maybe just sonically and, and engineering-wise, it was recorded more clearly. Yeah, I, that's, I think, why I like it so much and why, for me, you know, Vapor Trails <laughs> seems so heavy in, in a bad way, you know, being being layered with, you know, the distorted guitar and, you know, that seems to be, you know, the sound that I don't like that I've talked about before. Whereas, you know, this one, it's 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 still heavy, especially with, you know, you have the first track um, really comes in with that, you know, a strong energy, you know, a really heavy sound. And but it's but it's so clear. You know, it's just I, I kind of like this sound. I wish, you know, this sound would be on, you know, more of their albums in a way. Like, I, I, I kind of like the, the balance that they struck with, uh, you know, the guitar sound. And I love the guitar on this. I mean, Alex's, uh, you know, just sonically the different, um, you know, uh, maybe effects and pedals. But, you know, in order to cover these songs, you know, he had to, you know, kind of change the sound of the guitar, but it's, you know, he goes from, you know, really rock heavy blues riffs to also kind of, um, kind of folky you know, at times, right. Mm -hmm. Folky psychedelic, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it kind of runs the gamut. And I think it's meant to because, because of the album. I mean, the, the impetus for the album was to celebrate, you know, their 30 year anniversary and, you know, they wanted to do something special. And uh, so they, most of these songs uh, were from when they were first learning, you know, the, their chords and drum parts in, in, the, in the first bands that they were in. And, you know, when they were like 14 or 15 years old. So um, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it shows kind of like where they where they started. And, and these songs kind of, you know, indicate where they would go and, and how they were influenced, because uh, the the choice of songs I think reflects kind of what they're interested in. So like the the style of the songs seem to be you know not your typical pop songs. Even though some of these songs were um, you know very popular at the time, they're also kind of different um, in a lot of different ways. So maybe we can start talking about the individual tracks and. Yeah, I mean, do it that way. The biggest thing for me that I love, I, I do like this record in the sense that compared to the originals, it it sounds like Rush. They they did change them a bit. They they kind of in, injected their flavor into each of these. Uh, Summertime Blues rocks arguably the hardest, and um, I love it. I, I you know I've said before, for whatever reason, I I love Rush, but I don't give a crap about classic rock I, or, mm -hmm. or like, you know, I'm, I, I guess I would say there are progressive rock bands that I like or progressive metal. Uh, it's the same with new bands like Periphery, which I'm always talking about. I love Periphery, but everything else in that area, I can't stand. So I'm very mm -hmm. like band specific. Um, Summertime Blues kind of points me in that direction of like, oh, this sounds really nice when Rush does it. But I like with all these tracks, I really hadn't heard any of them, and I, I would compare and contrast this week, and I'll take the Rush version over any of them. What about you? 
Well, the the first version, that the Eddie Cochran version, was uh, written in 1958. So I think Getty was one year old. But there's been so many different versions of that song. You've yeah. got, there's a Beach Boys version. There's a, uh, and then you've got the Blue Cheer version in 1968, which is what uh, Getty Lee um, talks about being a, a real major influence. Uh, Blue Cheer was another uh, power trio. And, and I guess, uh, aside from it being a tad heavier guitar-wise, it's it's really pretty close to the Blue Cheer version. Mm-hmm. I th- actually, I think it's a uh, it combines elements of the Blue Cheer version and the Who, because the Who also did a, a a version of this song in the nineteen seventy, you know, and they would play it on tour a lot, and that version became pretty popular, you know, part of their set list. So in a way, they're kind of you know. Uh, making a tribute to Blue Cheer and The Who, I think. I think it combines both elements. The The opening lick is definitely Blue Cheer, but I think like the overall rhythm seems to be more like the way The Who played it. Yeah. Um, have you heard, Have you heard The Who version? I think I heard it once, and I yeah. then I went to the Blue Cheer version. But I do I love that Blue Cheer riff at the beginning and the end, which is in like a completely different tempo than the rest of the tune. Um. And also, this one translated live really nicely. And and this, I have to say, this might be contr- a major contributor to my sort of disdain for this record is because uh, on R30, it ate up a lot of valuable spots. And I didn't even know this record was a thing. I thought they were just like, hey, let's throw some covers into the set list. Yeah, Because I was a new mm-hmm. fan. I didn't realize there was an actual record. Um, and I was angry. I, I'm like, I don't want to hear cream or yardbirds or, or whatever i want to hear rush songs that was me as a literally a brand like a couple months into listening to rush and i got really angry about it yeah. now I, I went back and watched those r30 videos and like summertime blues is completely rolls it is it is a really really cool experience to happen once and i think the reason i'm not so angry anymore is because i realized that feedback was a thing in 2004 and it's staying in 2004 you know we, they played it on r30 and it's very clear that this collection of songs will be buried forever you know it's it's not a thing where like uh, each tour coming up it's like are we going to see a, a tune from feedback does that make sense? Like, I mm-hmm. am sort of happy about that, and it allows me to look at these songs with less anger. <laughs> yeah, that that's the complaint, that it takes up time in the set list, um, for sure. And I think, uh, you know, I, I like, well, when they cover Cross, when they played Crossroads, I thought that was came off really well live. And uh, I don't mind them playing Summertime Blues also. I think the, uh, which one was it? Heart Full of Soul. Um I, I like that they sat down and, and played an acoustic song like that, but uh-huh. I can see where some people kind of, you know, that takes up a lot of time from the set list, you know, where there could be a, a rush song. But and, but it does make sense that they did it on R30. I, I get that it's sort of um, poetic in a way that it's like 30 years, we've had this huge career, let's play some of the songs that started it all. And um, because it's poetic in that sense, again, that's another that's another victory for me for feedback where it's like, all right, I'll give you a pass. Uh, Were you Mm -hmm. you were a fan when this came out? Definitely. Right. You had been a fan long before. Um, Jay, I'm actually having a lot of technical problems here. I'm, I'm having trouble hearing you. It's kind of breaking up. Can you hear me now? 
Yeah, it's it's kind of distorted. Um, that's uh, that's classic Skype. <laughs> so what were we saying? Yes. We're saying heart f- heart full of soul, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so heart full of soul was uh, the uh, the Yardbird song. It came out in 1965 when uh, I guess Getty was about 12 years old. But I, I think they really make the version theirs. Um, they uh, the song uses uh, was an example of the early use of the fuzz box, mm-hmm. which uh, Jeff Beck uses during the solo. And originally he wanted to use a sitar because of the kind of exotic atmosphere of this song, but uh, he just kind of produced it on his guitar uh, with some effects. So I can see how this song kind of might have influenced Alex uh, concerning guitar effects, you know, early on. So I guess that would be like the, you know, the reasoning for in- including it. And uh, I actually, I like the song a lot. Um, and I'm glad they chose to play this one live. But um, when, when they do it acoustically, it's, uh, I-, I wish they would have done it like a full band arrangement. I think it might have been a-, a little more effective live, but... Yeah, and you know, because um, that reminds me of my opinion towards Resist Acoustic. It was cool once, uh, but I'd t- I'll take the full band version. Um, and that's another thing yeah. that I, I am glad is left in 2005 on that tour. You know, like yeah. the the whole sit down and play a couple tunes acoustic. Um, and I think the band agrees with this and they're on the same page as me. It's not really their their vibe. It's not really their thing. I'm glad they did it a couple times. Um, but I'm also happy that they realized, like, oh, you know, we're way better at the other side of the coin, I think. Yeah. Or maybe that's well, just one, more appropriate. One thing I always thought, like, um, I thought it, just the fact that they were willing to to sit down and play, you know, a, acoustic guitar on a few songs, to me was a, a big change in their whole, um, you know, vision of the band or, you know, what they had always done. I mean, to me, they always seemed so... Um, so set in you know the in what they did you know they always like um, format wise right 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 they were always locked into a certain format and like just the fact that they were willing to you know you know, put away the bass bring out you know acoustics kind of the whole feeling was much more relaxed and um you know i just thought and really the whole album like the the fact that they would do a cover album i never thought would been would have been possible you know, when I uh, was first becoming a fan, you know, I didn't really, th- I thought they took themselves really seriously. I wasn't really sure they had much of a, you know, a sense of humor like we know now. Like there wasn't YouTube clips of them, you know, and and things like that. So I, I always thought they were kind of, you know, a very straightforward kind of serious band, you know, just judging from the songs they did. And, you know, once you get to know them and like, oh, they have a really good sense of humor and that type of thing. And and then with this album, like just, you know, the fact they're willing to change and kind of, you know, do something that's more fun. Like to me, that was a big change in, in their outlook, you know, especially after, I guess, the seriousness of, you know, what had happened with with Neil and everything in the break. And, you know, when they come back with Vapor Trails, that seems to be another kind of, you know, heavy, serious album. So this is kind of a, you know, I don't know, it was kind of like fresh air. It was kind of like, uh, you know, a new side of them or another, you know. That's actually, that's what I was going to ask you when, when we, we uh, lost our connection was, 
what was it like when this record came out? What were the perceptions? What were people assuming about this release? Because it, I don't know about you, but if I were a fan back then, I'd be scared. Similar to like when Presto and Roll the Bones come out, I'm starting to get scared about the direction of this band. I like the material, but the future is looking interesting if this is where we're going. And in 2004, I'm thinking, oh, a cover album. Cool. So this is the end, huh? <laughs> I see. Oh, you know, yeah. they, they make one more record after the break, and then uh, they make like a half, essentially like an EP of, um, of covers, and then their career's over, right? Well, personally, I never felt that way. I, you know, I was actually kind of relieved because I didn't want to hear another Vapor Trails. Um, I kind of didn't want them to go down that road where it was just getting muddy with the guitars and, and, you know, the sound because, you know, that was before the, uh, you know, the remix. So just, you know, going off that original Vapor Trails, like, I was glad they did this album. I, you know, I remember, you know, when I bought it, um, it, it came out in June of 2004, and uh, I remember, you know, putting it in the CD player and, you know, cruising around with the windows down, and, you know, it's very much a summer album and just like a fun, you know, kind of, you know, uh, rocking album, and just, you know, it's to me, it's it's about them kind of, you know, rediscovering the fun of playing. So, I, and I never thought they would end with that. It didn't seem like it was okay. We're we're winding things down like i never got that impression really i always thought mm -hmm. wow they're they're increasing like you know, the r30 tour was you know it might be their i i think time wise one of their longest set lists yeah you know, i, I noticed got, the same thing when i looked at it online i'm like that was a humongous set list mm -hmm. uh, i think it had two intermissions uh, is what i read I, I i'm having a hard time remembering the actual show but i mean that's a you know it's 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 a lot of songs, a lot of a legitimately lot of time, so. three acts. Now, right. a heartful of soul has a moment. The only moment on this record that calls back to something else uh, in the Rush world is uh, in the middle of "Heartful of Soul." We get the lyric, and I know what is it? Uh, if she had me, if she had me back again, well, I would never make her sad, right? That mm -hmm. that little section, those couple of lines, reminds me of Grace to Grace from my favorite headache. Uh, specifically, oh, okay. the um, when the dark subsides and all of that, sort of the mm -hmm. pre-chorus. That was that was just the one moment where I'm like, that sounds like something I've heard before in yeah. Rush. You know, well, I, I just I love hearing Getty sing all these lyrics because when was the last time he was singing about you know relationships with uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, women the first album basically you know was, when they're yeah. talking about there's know. a big like parallel don't you think between uh, you know between feedback and the debut album because the debut Definitely, album was yeah. essentially in this style and we haven't really seen right. that for a while i wish they the, the sound of feedback would have you know could have been you know they could have done the same kind of sound, uh, but I mean, it's yeah, the the songs are, are real similar. But I just like hearing Getty sing some of these lyrics. It, it's it's kind of um, you know, it's so unexpected going from you know the Rush material and the you know Neil writing the lyrics for him to to singing you know these other lyrics. It's it's kind of a 
it's strange, but it's, I mean, I, I like it. I think it's very kind of, you know, it, it still fits their sense of humor, like in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it's you a know, nice, in, nice uh, change of pace. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah, like we can go on the next song for what it's worth. Um, you know, that was a song I never would have thought they would cover. Like, it just doesn't seem like Rush could cover that song. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I heard it and I'm like, all right, I've heard this song before and this is interesting. This is maybe the furthest from Rush that it gets. Yeah. But it, it is. But it yeah, works. I mean, and and I'll, I'll, I just remembered what I was going to say a second ago. You mentioned the singing. And I think I think mm-hmm. this is a high point for Getty vocally. Like, he, he does a very... And I mean, that is not a pun in any way. I know high is the wrong word for Getty Lee, the screechy guy. Um, right. But it's... Uh, he does a very nice job of delivering melodies on this record, is what I'm trying to say. He's a, he's a nice vocalist. It's not too high I where he's completely. screechy. It's not, it's not too pentatonic like, like Clockwork Angels... Or it's not, you know, the melodies aren't too metal or progressive. It's they're just nice melodies that we all sort of know, uh, and they're delivered very nicely. Can I say nice anymore? <laughs> yeah, nice is the best <laughs> adjective I have for that. No, I I completely agree. Yeah, and and for what it's worth, he's you know he's very you know, he's in a lower register. Uh, he shows a lot of versatility. Yeah, there's there's some songs where he, you know he's he goes up into a falsetto like in in the next song, The Seeker. You know, I mean that's to me that's again there's a very sly sense of humor there because he's singing. You know, I've been searching low and high. You know, he goes <laughs> up. So to me that's great. I mean it's it's great to hear him sing those lyrics and then you know it's just you know yeah it's different but he does it so well. I mean, I, th- I think it's done very well. And then, uh, you know, The Seeker, another Who song, which is, you know, The Who were a, a big influence on him. And I'm a big Who fan, so to me, this was another, you know, a great choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Seeker was the one, I guess, like, in a sense, the single for me on this record where, mm-hmm. where I heard it on R30, and that was the one that stuck in my head. Or I I just, I hear Rush singing that now because I heard it, I heard the live version on R30 for a billion years before I ever heard the Who sing it. So in my head, it's like, I hear Geddy Lee singing that song. And I know 95% of you are listening to me right now and you think I'm insane and that I'm on drugs or something. But it's, you know, I I was new. I I listened to Rush when I was 15 and that was only 10 years ago. So I'm, I'm still a very, very new fan. And the Who is a band that's, a hundred year years old in my head you know what i mean like the who is not out right. touring right now correct <laughs> yeah i i think so i think they're still going yeah i mean what's what's left of them yeah they're oh they are they are going, still going right going on like 50 years now so I guess. I, yeah i realize they're they're similar in age rush and the who but it, i just i don't have a large background with the who so um mm-hmm. but i do like it. i think it's a great tune and they did write it correct yes mm-hmm um, I'm sure you were happy to hear this one live. Um, say that again. Sorry, that, sorry, that a, getting a little I'm sound, sh- sound problem again. I'm sure you you were happy to hear this one live. Yes. Um, no, I did like this one live. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting because like 
the songs like this are you know at a more laid back tempo than what they're used to playing um so again you know it's kind of interesting to see how they handle that it's almost like they're always you know on the verge of wanting to kind of let loose and get busy again because this song has kind of a laid back feeling to it and so they you know i think they do it well and then as it builds you can hear like you know the the bass you know and the the, the bass drum just kind of getting a little busy and uh, it's it's like they it it at their heart they always kind of want to you know push it and try to fill up the space as much as possible and kind of push the tempo so it's interesting to see uh, to hear a song that's a little more laid back. You know the ending of this recording reminds me of the how they end the Analog Kid. It's I think it's the same big old A five power chords, um, and it mm. it just has the same obviously they're literally the same sound but they. Uh, they have a similar sort of feeling to me. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to Mr. Soul by Buffalo Spring. Oh, Buffalo Springfield, I'm, I'm abbreviating. Again, this is a group I've never heard of. <laughs> Do you know anything about Buffalo Spring? Springfield? Um, well, I had, I had heard of them, but I didn't know a lot about them. And uh, it's kind of appropriate because they're, you know, a Canadian band. Um, and, and Neil Young is, you know, was a part of Buffalo Springfield. So, um, this is actually, this is one of my favorite tracks on the album. I, I think they really kind of made it theirs. And, um, I don't know, just the whole feeling of the song is, uh, kind of, you know, nice, kind of dark. And I just found out that, uh, it's kind of a, a simple remake of Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. Like you can hear the the satisfaction lick, the dun 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 dun, dun, dun. and I guess Neil was kind of Neil oh, Young yeah. was. Oh yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I guess he was he he made the remark that yeah, it's it's kind of a, a remake of the satisfaction lick, and so um, that was something kind of interesting. But yeah. but no, I think I think Rush does a a really good job with this song. You know, um, the sound of the guitar is 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 excellent on it yeah actually that's a great point that the 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 guitar sound on this record is pretty diverse uh and it shows alex kind of branching out even though vapor trails you could argue was maybe the most he ever branched out on one album here we are on the next record and we get even more of that with different sounds and like that sitar thing you were talking about before was is that solo is even without the sitar is pretty um not groundbreaking, but definitely new ground for Alex. Good stuff. And yeah, Mr. Soul is another one where I thought, this is like not what I expected when when I heard they were going to be doing covers or when I first listened to the record. Uh, but it's really mm-hmm. a really good track. Now, who's who is Love? I've never heard of the group Love. Yes, actually, I had never heard of them either. I was going to say the same thing. I had, I had never heard of Love. Um, even the members, I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, the, yeah, so for for me, this one was an obscure song. Seven um, and Seven is. But, but you know, it, it for a group called Love, it's it's a song that I didn't expect. I didn't expect a song from Love to sound like this. And it, it moves quickly, it's fast, it's energetic, and it fits Rush. Yeah, I've I've saw it described as proto punk. Uh, what someone said, the heck like, does so that like, even mean? <laughs> well, Genres I guess are like so a, a silly. Pre- 
Yeah, I know, but I, in a way, I kind of, I mean, like a you know, a precursor to to punk in a way, kind of, I guess, the chord progression or the you know the the attack on the you know the the driving nature of it. I mean, it's been covered by a lot of other bands. Actually, it was covered by the Ramones, Alice Cooper. Um, so it, it's kind of a you know, I mean, I guess it's in another early form of I don't you know of it's, where rock would go right, another it's, direction. It's sort of a standard maybe or like a uh, part of the mm-hmm. classic repertoire of this of this gr- grand genre. <laughs> But yeah, I hear the punk, and I can hear the Ramones playing this tune. Yeah. Uh, but and we get another Yardbirds tune. The Yardbirds, I know, yes. were, they were biggest with Neil, I think. Is that correct? Say it again? I think Neil was the biggest fan of the Yardbirds, from what I've read. It could be, but um, I mean... I think Alex is a big Jimmy Page fan, and at one time Page was was in the Yardbirds. Oh, I see. Uh, and then uh, actually, I mean, there's been I think a lot of people in the in the Yardbirds at one time. Like they've gone through, you know, more more members than than Spinal Tap. Like they they've they've had Eric Clapton, you know, uh, Jimmy Page. So I you know I think uh, I think all the guys you know really liked the Yardbirds, but. But this song, um, it kind of you know the the guitar sound again is kind of unique, but also then think about the lyrics. They're you know anti-war, pro-environmental, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of uh, uh, an interesting look at you know the type of lyrics that you know Rush would eventually write. You know, kind of, um, but it's it doesn't go you know it's not direct in its statements in the lyrics it's kind of you know a psychedelic you know uh you know roundabout way but um you know it's like um they're kind of combining socially conscious lyrics and the driving rhythm like a lot like rush like would would do eventually so i can see why they chose this song or or why they were drawn to the song yeah so mm. um and crossroads is sort of like the big Again, maybe like a single on this album, and and I imagine you look mm-hmm. at this album and you go, "Oh, I know which tunes they're gonna play live." And Crossroads, I imagine, was one of those. And and Cream was huge for Getty and Alex, or maybe all three. Yes. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah, because Ginger Baker was a uh, you know another very unique type of drummer, you know, playing in a in a trio. So I think yeah, each one of them can identify with the the three players from Cream. And, um, you know, this song uh, is, has been covered, I guess, you know, by lots and lots of people. And actually, when I was going back and listening to some different versions, I also decided to listen to the, um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame <laughs> version. Yeah. Which is which just, just a, a strange kind of thing. Like, the, you know, it's, it's so slow, the, the tempo. But, um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a kind of an odd song but um when when rush played it live i thought they did an outstanding job like i'm not sure which i like better the the live version or the the one on the album right on feedback but it's because they're both incredibly high energy both of those you know you know like um and you listen to the cream version it's it's a sort of a low gain it's very low gain compared to rushes and rush and because of that it seems more um 
uncontrollable. It seems more. Uh, oh, I had such a good word. I had such a good word, you guys. Yeah. It's it just seems like, um, you know, more. It's more energetic. How it's more in your face. I'm gonna get that word. I swear. I swear to God, I'm gonna find that word I had because it was perfect. Well, the solo is 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 amazing from Alex. You know, that's 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 one of the highlights for me. Is is definitely the solo. Do your dogs also like that solo? Yeah, they're they're Rush fans too. They're saying Rush, Rush. <laughs> Quiet, dogs. Okay. Um, but I also really like. Uh, Neil's uh, bass drum, the double bass. Yeah. On on most of this whole album, but it, you know, especially this song, you know, they just it's great when he when he does the quick double bass, and um, so yeah, that's that's something I really like. This was the second to last song they played on R thirty, and actually, L Limelight was the last song on that tour. That's kind of a strange. Now uh, I assume you saw R thirty live. R40? R30. Yes, yes, I was there. So, because I just barely missed that tour. And um, uh, so the, the encore, I believe, was. Um, was it Summertime, then Crossroads, then Limelight? I've got it here. Yeah, the encore, yes. Summertime, Crossroads, and Limelight. So yeah. I, I looked at. For my whole life, I've looked at that and gone, uh, that's not ideal for me like i don't i would not enjoy that encore when they come out to play three more tracks and i only get one more rush song but now i see it as similar to the way they played in the mood last right. or during the encore a bunch um like we said this is very similar to the debut album that's sort of the spot on the on the 30th anniversary tour uh that's sort of where those have to go mm-hmm yeah th this is one of my favorite tours i mean it was the the whole set list was great on R thirty I thought but um, you know I I think they I'm glad they included the songs on feedback I think it was you know it was a you know it was good you know some people might say it was too many but um, I think cross crossroads especially deserved a spot there just um, you know it's just them and their in their raw kind of element so I, I love that version yeah and I mean. R30, like you said, it was a great set list, and I am warming up to the idea of hearing of seeing these in the set list. But uh, again, I'm glad that these are staying in their era, and they're they're not. Each time we have a tour, I'm not looking and going, all right, which what are we going to hear from feedback? You know, they didn't cover feedback on the R40 um, retrogression, mm -hmm. you know. Right. But uh, you know, these songs are growing on me, and and. I hope I start listening to this record more than I have in the past. You know what I'm saying? Uh, for me, like I think the album is significant because you know the songs that they chose. It's kind of documents how rock and roll kind of branched out, like kind of how the family tree branched out. So similar um, to how Neil's you know, drum drum solos kind of encompass the the history of the drum solo. You're saying this this is a nice look into the history of rock and roll. Yeah, I think so, because, I mean, most of these songs have been covered by a lot of other bands with different styles um, from, you know, whatever, hard rock, proto-punk, psychedelic, 
even country. Like there's a there's a version of summertime blues. I don't know if you've ever heard it. If you want to laugh, then uh, check out Alan Jackson Alan Jackson's version on YouTube. Um, that will um, <laughs> that will give you a, a, an interesting perspective on uh, on um, you know where rock and music kind of has has blended, um, or you know where they took the original, which was rockabilly, and then you know the the hard rock bands kind of started covering it, and then it's even been covered by uh, Alan Jackson in a country way, which is actually it's 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 a terrible song, but um, you know it's huh. it's it may be worth checking out for a few laughs. But, um, yeah, so I, I think, you know, the album is it shows like even the song Crossroads was originally written in, you know, like 1938, apparently by, you know, Robert Johnson, you know, so then Cream covers it. And then, you know, Rush comes in and, and covers the Cream version. And, you know, it's kind of a you know, it's an interesting piece of how rock and roll is kind of developed. And and yeah, I mean, it, so Crossroads is a pure, pure as it gets blues. You know, it, it's just a very predictable blues form, and it's, which is standard for any rock band to, to play. And Rush has never recorded. I guess maybe there are a couple tracks on the debut album that you could consider a blues, but nothing this straight ahead. And it's refreshing to kind of hear their take on it. And I want to say something from a bass player's point of view. Uh, this is you, you mentioned how these tracks have mostly been covered by a bunch of other bands. Uh, I would say none of them have the the input that Getty has had on the with the bass playing on those songs. But if, what I mean is that the Rush recordings are very different. From, I, I imagine very different from, the, from those other recordings because they have Getty Lee's bass playing, and Getty Lee is in the height of his exploration with bass distortion, with this the the current bass tone that we have. I, I I've said it. A bunch from Russian Rio to Snakes and Arrows was my favorite bass tone, and uh, my favorite like kind of uh, the peak of his technique exploration. And feedback sits right in the middle of that time frame. So there are a few you know small examples or, or I guess highlights of the bass guitar where you hear like, oh, that's Getty Lee. Like nobody else plays like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, very true. No, his um. His flamenco style, kind of like the way that he strikes the strings now, yeah, um, is is so unique. And then you know when it comes out on 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 some of these songs and the newer material, it's um, it's definitely him. Yeah, it's it's his sound now. And um, when you you mentioned Snakes and Arrows, and I know you like that album, you know it's it ranks pretty high for you. Think about this uh, feedback. I, I think really influenced Snakes and Arrows. You've got the blues licks, the general rawness of the sound, the acoustic guitar and kind of the folkiness, I think all of that carried over uh, into Snakes and Arrows and kind of, I think feedback kind of helped make Snakes and Arrows what it was. Interesting, that's, that's an awesome point because like, I mean, in a very obvious and direct way, look at how folky the larger bowl is. And we all, I always kind of looked at that track and went, where did that come from? But now I know. <laughs> If I had thought yeah. about it, it came from the album previous. And uh, I think, right. this, you know, that's an amazing point. This, I've always contested that the songwriting on Snakes and Arrows is phenomenal. And that's what makes, that's what sets it apart from other records. Mm. And uh, like we just said, they were exploring older, like classic blues forms. 
um, mm-hmm. much more uh, not digestible in this case, but uh, conventional, much more conventional forms and predictable formats uh, that in a way make you a better songwriter when you study the older stuff. It's the same reason jazz musicians like we're all younger jazz musicians all want to play modern stuff because it's hip or whatever. But we, when you go to jazz school, you study Louis Armstrong. You study stuff from the early 20th century because that's the old stuff that was that, you know, f- the foundation for the modern stuff. Uh, that's a great point, man. I'm going to, I'm going to remember that. And I'm going to, that's going to be my new thing for defending snakes and arrows. Right. Yeah. Cause it, in uh, vapor trails, I really, I don't, you know, I don't see much carrying over to, uh, snakes and arrows. Uh, th- there's not, you know, it's like you said, where did, where did this come from? And to me, it, it, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, that this feedback album in doing their, you know, research, going back to the, you know, the roots of songwriting and, and it's, it's, it's blues kind of foundation. Yeah. I think it really clarified for them what, uh, you know, what songwriting, you know, was to them. And, and then the sound again, too, recording live off the floor, that was another huge, uh, cause I believe snakes and arrows was, uh, recorded that way also. Right. Uh, parts of it were parts of it. Yeah. Yep. And, and I'm thinking about like the way the wind blows, the opening guitar for that track has a very bluesy old school vibe. Like that's, and it's such an easy, easy, like, uh, step-by-step progression for you to point out. But I just never thought of it like that. Probably cause I never listened to this record very much. Very cool, man. Uh, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm happy we had, we ch- we had chosen to do this because part of me wanted to leave it out, but um, if Rush thought it was these tracks deserved to be recorded and performed live, there's no reason we shouldn't talk about it, right? There's there's probably somebody that is in love with this record and would be pretty sad if we just skipped it. Yeah, I I, def, I don't think it should be overlooked. I mean, you know, to me, it's just it, it's it's unexpected. But I mean, it's just you know, for them, it's uh, it's not just nostalgia. I think it it shows you know you know a real uh, strong uh, connection to their influences, and it's um, it just sounds great. I, I love the sound of the album. Like I I can put this in. I, I remember when I first got it. Um, it was also available on uh, jukeboxes. If you went to a, you know, a sports bar, you could find uh, Summertime Blues and I think Crossroads on, you know, on the electronic jukebox. And I remember, you know, I played a few other songs one time and then I put on Summertime Blues and it just came in, you know, so heavy and it just kind of, everybody was like, what is this? Like, you know, sounds familiar but it's you know it's just got you know their their version of it had so much you know energy and and just you know balls to it like it was and so like i don't know to me it's kind of a, a breath of fresh air and kind of just you know that for them i think it was fun too and i think that comes off like it's just a fun kind of album and a you know yeah so. maybe it acted so as a sort of a sort of reset where maybe they felt like they were going down this path that was more and more eccentric and and this sort of pulled them back to center wherever that may be for them Mm -hmm. as songwriters Um, jeff thanks for coming on the show again man thanks for having me we're glad i'm glad to have you and i know that uh listeners really dig listening to your input as well so thanks 
Great. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right, guys, we got one episode left in the album series. And you know what that is. So we'll see you next week. Peace.